This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Glad you could spend some time with us here this morning. Lots to talk about this morning. Of course, the national championship game last night. Uh, first order of business, uh, hopefully those of you who are listening have noticed that there is no hum this morning. We seem to have, uh, we got a, n- a new mixer in yesterday, and it uh, it appears the old equipment was going bad, so uh, hooked a new one up. It's a little bit new to me, so I apologize if there's uh, uh, any technical gaffes this morning, but uh, we will do our best. Uh, but uh, welcome uh, to Wake Up Call. It is a weird morning here uh, in North Carolina, in the mountains of western North Carolina. Uh, we have freezing fog this morning. I'm not sure I ever... Uh, I ever encountered this before. I, I suppose I probably did at some point in my life. And I mean, I've been around 62 years, so I'm sure I've seen this before. But it was 20, 29 degrees when I got up this morning, and it was so foggy I couldn't see maybe more than uh, 200 yards. And uh, uh, I went outside to go out to get the chickens and uh, let the chickens out of the coop this morning, and everything had a glaze of ice on it. It was really weird. Really weird. But it could be worse. We could be in California with the monsoon rains, or I could be in New England having to deal with snow. So I'll take this. Uh, fortunately, my wife got into work no problem this morning. That's the that's the one thing we worry about down here in the south more than snow is ice. Although you get a half an inch of snow down here, people lose their ever-loving minds because nobody knows how to drive in it. It's unbelievable. You know, you'd think... It's just it's unbelievable, but uh, but there's no. It doesn't matter. You you can have twenty-seven wheel drive. It doesn't matter if you're on ice. You're gonna go skating. You know, people think that. Well, I got four wheel drive. I could no, no, you can't. So, but fortunately, Barb didn't have any trouble this morning. So, um, I stayed up to watch the national football, uh, the national uh, championship game for college football last night. I actually watched a half of it, if I if if I'm honest. You know, I. I clicked it off at halftime. It was 38-7. to seven. So I said, what's the point? You know, and I went back to it a couple of times in the second half, and the score just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I was like, oh, God. I mean, the one thing it did do was it allowed me to watch the fourth quarter of the Celtics game last night because I didn't have to watch the college football game because the drama was over uh, about, oh, five minutes into the game. <laughs> uh, Georgia scored first and scored often and – uh, took advantage of of a TCU team that was completely overmatched. And it look, this Georgia team is really really good. And you know what what's weird? Well, I don't know. It's weird. But Kirby Smart at the end of the game, the head coach for Georgia, actually said he said, you know, last year's team probably had more talent on it. Oh man, he said. But this year's team was different. Like they had the eye of the tiger. They weren't going to lose. Here's. 
the two things I took away from last night, number one, was how the hell did TCU beat Michigan? I think that speaks more to how poorly Michigan played than to how good TCU was because they got dominated last night. You know, that run game that they had against Michigan, yeah, it went nowhere. Nowhere. You know, and when they got down early and there was no doubt that all Mac, all TCU could do was rely on Max Duggan to, to bail them out and try to throw their way back into that football game, the front seven of the Georgia Bulldogs just teed off and he got sacked time after time after time. And when he wasn't getting sacked, he was getting pressured. I mean – Oh my God! You know it was it was this was a bloodbath. It was humiliating. It showed the divide that we have in this college football landscape. It's the SEC and everybody else. Now Ohio State will tell you, well, we hung with Georgia, we almost beat them, and you know what? They're right. That would have been a better national championship game than that thing we saw last night. Holy crap. And look, give TCU a lot of credit. This was a team that was finished to pick seventh. They were they were picked to finish seventh in their league after having a losing record last year. And to finish a season 13-2, and two, you got to tip your cap to what they did. But they were not in the same hemisphere as Georgia. It wasn't close. Uh, look, and this was the biggest ass kicking of any championship game ever. You know, uh, you know, people were bringing up. Well, you know, remember when Nebraska beat Florida by thirty-eight back in the Fiesta Bowl in nineteen ninety-six, or you know, USC killing Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, or. You know, Alabama, when they humiliated Notre Dame back in 2013, this was magnitudes worse than that. It was 65-7, to and I'm convinced if they wanted to, they could have scored 100. I mean, it's just crazy. You know, and it got so bad that when they brought the, the second team in, the second team was scoring at will. I think they could have played the second team and won this game. That's how bad it was. You know, and I live right on the Georgia border, so uh, I'm literally five minutes from Georgia. My wife works in Georgia, so uh, obviously everybody down here is uh, ecstatic, and and uh, and rightly so. Look, this is um, this Georgia team is now the team to beat. This is the team that everybody you know before it was Alabama, right? Everybody, Nick Saban and Alabama, they were the team that everybody was excited about. Well. Kirby Smart learned from Nick Saban. Nick Saban is Kirby Smart's mentor. In seven seasons with Georgia, Kirby Smart's now 81 and 15. They've got two national titles. And uh, in his first seven seasons with Alabama, Nick Saban was 79 and 15 with three titles. So they're, they're on par with each other. But right now, this Georgia team is the team that everybody is going to try to emulate. And look, they lose a lot. They lose Stetson Bennett, their quarterback, who's been there forever. And Stetson Bennett, I mean, what a great story this kid was. He wanted to play at Georgia. He's a Georgia guy. He didn't get recruited, right? So he goes to a, a junior college. He ends up back on the, you know, he ends up on Georgia eventually. You know, people didn't think that he should be the starting quarterback up until this year. 
Even after winning a national title this year, last year, there were still people that doubted this kid. He threw for 304 yards and four touchdowns last night. And, oh, by the way, he ran twice more for touchdowns. I mean, this kid is amazing, and he's not very big. Heisman Trophy runner-up this year. Which, by, by the way, you know, when you think about this, you know, Bryce Young from Alabama was the Heisman Trophy winner. We had two guys that were the runner-ups, Max Duggan and Kirby and uh, – Stetson Bennett play in this game. And, you know, I don't know whether Stetson Bennett plays in the NFL or not. There was a lot of conjecture about that last night. I think he could, but he's not very big. He's only about 5'11". I mean, I, I get it. It's, you know, it's taller than the average uh, male in, in the world. But for an NFL quarterback in this day and age when, you know, they're all between like 6'3 six fo- six and 6'6", six six, you know, he's a midget. You know what he is? He's Drew Brees with wheels. He's Drew Brees. He's got look. He's got a strong arm. I think he could be a a good quarterback. He's accurate and he can run. He's got good speed. You know he so. But Drew Brees is the kind of guy that I would look at for for a Stetson Bennett model. If Drew Brees was a small guy, about five eleven. Um, you know, and and look, you know, why is that a big deal? Well, because. You got to throw over your offensive linemen who are all six four, six five. Then you, then you got the opposing defensive linemen coming in with their hands up, and you got to throw over guys, you know, with the hands up that you know seven and a half feet tall. Makes it much more difficult when you're only five eleven. Um, but I think he could play in the NFL. I think he's got the skills. You know, and he's had a long college career because of uh, COVID and 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 redshirting. I mean, the kid's got. You know, uh, he's Christ. He's older than than a lot of guys playing. Uh, you know, in the NFL now. So I think he's got the talent. And one thing we know, Stetson Bennett will never have to buy a meal or a drink in the state of Alabama again. He is the greatest player of all time in Georgia history. Look, uh, say what you want about anybody. Say what you want about Herschel Walker. Say what you, Stetson Bennett. Won two national titles or led this Georgia team to two national titles. He is the greatest player in Georgia history, period. Kid is ridiculous. Now, there's no doubt Georgia will have a ta- uh, you know a target on its back next year. You know, and, and as I said, they're losing a whole bunch of guys. But one thing we know is everybody loves a winner. So when you're a winner, this is how Alabama did it. This is how Notre Dame has done it. This is how Michigan has done it. When you win, people want to come and play for your team. All of a sudden, you know, guys that, you know, might be on the fence about where they're going to go, they're like, I want to be a part of a national championship team, you know. And so that's how, you know, they get those players. You know, the landscape's a little bit different now because of the whole name, image, and likeness thing where you basically have teams almost uh, bidding for guys, saying, well, you know what, if you come here, we can get you this much, uh, you know, for your name, image, and likeness. So, like, you know, we can get you, you know, deals with this company and this company and this company that will pay you money. So it's not that the schools are paying these guys, but they're setting it up so other companies will pay these kids. 
you know, it's it's one of the things I didn't like about the name, image, and likeness. And look, I get I get what you're saying. You know, we've we've had this argument so many times of well, the schools are making millions of dollars off these kids. Why shouldn't they get paid? And and there is a piece, and I wouldn't mind them getting some kind of a a bigger stipend. I'm okay with that. But they're getting a free college education. You know, they are getting, in some cases, a two or three hundred thousand dollar college education. They're getting their books, their room, their board, their fees, everything paid for. Plus, they get to, they're playing football and they they eat better than any other any other kid, average kid on that campus because they get special meals. You know, they they get treated like get they get all kinds of gear, uh, they get all kinds of swag. Trust me, these kids are doing okay. Now, I I get it that a lot of them are coming from poor backgrounds, and and I'm like I said, I'm okay with, you know, maybe give them a bigger stipend. But this name, image, and likeness thing has gotten crazy. There's a girl that is a gymnast for LSU who is, uh, and I don't have the exact figure. You're, you're going to have to, but it's like over $10 million a year. She's making just for her name, image, and likeness so because she is gorgeous. And just because she is gorgeous, she is getting all this money from national companies and local companies to, to for her to you know have her name on something or for her to endorse their product or it's crazy. Paige Beckers from UConn is making millions and millions and millions of dollars a women's basketball player because she's the best player in the country and so she's making all this money from national companies. It's crazy. And is it necessarily bad? No, I always thought it'd be okay that they should be able to go out and, you know, if a local car dealership wants them to, you know, do. I, I, I never had an issue with that. The problem now has become that schools are using this as a recruiting tool, as a bargaining chip. They're buying these kids because they have ins with different, you know, companies. So you add that on top of the fact that Georgia is now back-to-back national champs and they're going to be beating down Georgia's door. They're going to have their pick of the best players in the country, unless they're from, from Alabama, because <laughs> Nick, Nick Saban's not going to let those kids get away. But last night's game was the uh, as anticlimactic as it comes. Now, uh, you know, if you're from Georgia and you're a Georgia fan, you were watching every minute of it, I get it, you know, and why shouldn't you? But 65-7 to seven is not what the playoff committee wants to see. You know, they're expanding the playoffs next year. And the problem, you know, to, you know, the problem becomes when you now expand to eight teams, what did we see this year? We saw maybe two teams that belong there, maybe three. I mean, I, you can't say that TCU didn't belong there. But I'll say this, Alabama, who just missed out, would have given a better showing last night than TCU did. There's no doubt in my mind. None. So, But the problem becomes when you expand the playoffs and you start letting in teams from other conferences that just can't hang with the SEC, it could get ugly. I hope I'm wrong. You know, that's one of the problems with college football versus – the pros 
you know, there's more parity across pro football when you've got a couple of hundred, you know, Division One teams, and you really have a handful that are any good, or that are elite. That becomes a problem. It's similar to what college women's college basketball was for a while. You know, the reason that UConn and Tennessee and Stanford and Notre Dame were winning all these championships was because there was nobody else to compete with. There were, you know, four, five, six teams in the country that could hang with those other teams. That's it. Everybody else was cannon fodder. And that becomes a problem. Well, that's what we're seeing in college football. Do you see the occasional upset? Yes, of course. Appalachian State has pulled off a couple of those in the last few years. Look, it happens, you know, where where there'll, there'll be a giant killer that'll go in and, 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 you know, play out of their minds. Or the giant will take the uh, the little guy, uh, they won't take him as seriously, and by the time they've woken up and said, ooh, these guys can play a little bit, you know, they're in trouble. But that's the problem with college football. I'm, this is to take nothing away from Georgia. You know, and we saw Ohio State almost beat them. And we saw TCU play a, a, a perfect game to beat Michigan. But at the end of the day, this Georgia team was head and shoulders better than TCU. TCU didn't belong on the same field. And I felt bad for them, and I felt badly for their fans. But it takes nothing away from a 13-2 and season after a team that was awful the year before. So, uh, but it's over. Uh, by the way, they uh, no surprise, Georgia uh, is on top of the final AP tw- top 25 poll for the season. Uh, they're the 12th back-to-back champs in AP top 25 history, for whatever that means. You know, think about this. They, When they had won the championship last year, they hadn't won one in Georgia in 41 years. So it had been a while. So back-to-back now. Uh, the last team to finish consecutive seasons at number one in the top 25 poll, of course, Alabama back in 2011 and 12. Um, Tennessee from the SEC was number six. So the SEC had half of the top six teams. Georgia got all the first place votes. Uh, the only other, the other, other teams in the top six, the TCU Horned Frogs, and uh, Michigan was at number three, followed by Ohio State. So we had one from the Big 12, two from the uh, Big 10, and then the SEC had the other three. Uh, Penn State was number seven. That's the first time uh, the Nittany Lions have finished the season uh, ranked since 2019, so it's been a great season for Penn State. Uh, Washington out of the Pac-12. Finished ranked for the first time in 2018. They were number eight in the poll. Tulane ninth. First appearance in the poll uh, since they finished seventh in uh, 1998, so good for them. And Utah rounded out the top ten. Um, and it's the first top ten finish for them since uh, they were number two in the final uh, uh, 2018 poll. But uh, an ass-kicking of the uh, of the first magnitude last night. But congratulations to Georgia. Look, and despite, as I said, despite the 65-7 to score, congratulations to TCU. A hell of a year. You just didn't have a chance. Just never had a chance. 25 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 27 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. 10th day of January, 2023. So the uh, odds are out. The early odds are out for the uh, wild card weekend playoffs in the NFL this weekend. 
And if you look at the uh, the uh, not a lot of surprises. San Francisco is a ten point favorite over Seattle. Um, these games on Saturday, and the Chargers are a point and a half favorite on the road at Jacksonville. I'm still stunned, by the way, at what Brandon Staley did for the Chargers this past weekend by playing his starters and getting a couple of them hurt. You know, I, I read a thing this morning. They said, well, look, here's the deal. If uh, the Chargers go on a run, Brandon Staley is going to be, uh, you know, hailed as, you know, keeping his team sharp despite the fact that their final game didn't mean anything, and that's the reason that they did well. If they lose at Jacksonville on Saturday, he's going to get killed. <laughs> he's going to get killed. Uh, but uh, uh, so the Chargers will be a point-and-a-half favorite. No surprise here, although I thought they'd be a 12-point favorite. Buffalo is a 10-and-a-half point favorite over the Miami Dolphins in the early game on Sunday. Uh, the game, of course, in Buffalo uh, don't know who the quarterback for Miami is going to be. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa has been out with the uh, the concussion. Don't think he's going to be ready. They're hoping Teddy Bridgewater may be back from that dislocated pinky and being able to play. Uh, but either way, it's not going to matter. Buffalo, 10.5-point favorite. Minnesota at home against the Giants is a three-point favorite. Kind of a fascinating game. Uh, not because I think the Giants are that good. But I just I'm not convinced that Minnesota is as good as its record. I'm really not. Um, I think I used the term when we had Dan Zampano on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I look at Minnesota as a, like a paper tiger. They look great on paper, except when you dig deep and you watch their games, you're going, you know, they're not. They have. Uh, I mean, they've had a horseshoe in their back pocket all season. They have gotten lucky time after time after time, in my opinion. Uh, but uh, they are a. Uh, a three-point favorite. Cincinnati is a six-and-a-half-point favorite over Baltimore. It is looking more and more like Lamar Jackson is going to be able to play for Baltimore, so that's a good thing. Uh, that will help keep them in this game. But uh, Cincinnati is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. And then on Monday night, Dallas is at Tampa, and Dallas is a three-point favorite over Tampa. That's not really a surprise. Look, when you look at the fact that uh, Dallas 12-5 and this season – despite the fact they threw out an absolute stinker in the last game of the season, um, they should be favored. The Tampa offense has, uh, has struggled. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, look, Tom Brady set a, an NFL record for most completions in the season, which is, look, at 45, it's, you know, everybody that wants to say Tom Brady shouldn't have played and, you know, should have stayed home and is washed up. He completed over 450 passes this year, an NFL record, broke his own record. I mean, it's crazy. But their inability to run the football this year and their defense hasn't been as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, Dallas should win this game. But then again, I thought Dallas should beat the Washington Commanders last weekend. So, uh, uh, so we'll see. So anyway, on Monday night, Dallas will be a three-point favorite uh, over Tampa. Uh, we had a, uh, uh, some good news on DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo Bills. He was released from the hospital in Cincinnati yesterday. And he is back in Buffalo. Now, he isn't at home. He has uh, transferred to another hospital in Buffalo. He's at Buffalo General Medical Center uh, in the uh, Gates Vascular Institute there uh, to do what they're calling the next stage of his recovery. Uh, they said that he's been walking since having a breathing tube removed on Friday. He's eating regular food. He's undergoing therapy. Um, they said that, you know, his trajectory for recovery from this cardiac arrest is probably even accelerated more than they would have expected. Um, 
normal recovery is anywhere from weeks to months. But uh, the doctors have all said that they're ecstatic about the, the way that he is recovering. It was funny. I guess while he was watching the game in the ICU in Cincinnati on Sunday, uh, when his teammate returned the opening kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown, he jumped up and down, got out of his chair. They said he set off every alarm in the ICU in the process, but he was okay. It was just, you know, uh, obviously the heart rate went up and everybody was, oh, my God. But uh, fortunately, he was okay. But uh, So he would be back in the, in the hospital uh, in Buffalo and uh, being able to be near his teammates. There's no word about whether he's actually going to be able to go to a game in person. I mean, I'm sure he'd love to be at that game this weekend on Sunday, and I am sure that every fan in uh, Buffalo would love to see him there, um, but they're going to uh, to wait and see how that goes. Um, you know, and look, Buffalo knows they'll also be at home for the second round game as well. If they, you know, unless they lose to Miami, uh, they'll be home for their second round game as well. So, you know, hopefully we'll get to see him there. Um, you know, and, uh, my wife asked me, you know, do you think he'll ever play football again? And, you know, I, I guess my first, my first inclination is who cares? My second inclination is, is if you're DeMar Hamlin, and you almost just died on the field. Do you want to play football again? Do you, you know, would you want to take that risk? I'm not sure. You know, I mean, I'm not 24 years old and I'm not talented like that. Um, but would you? You know, and as I've mentioned in the past, um, this is a guy playing in the NHL right now has had two strokes. Had one this year. Came back like uh, two months after his stroke and was playing again. So... You know, when it's what you know, then that's what you do. But DeMar Hamlin's 24 years old. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And, uh, you know, and, and my opinion on this is the following. Um, he's going to do what he wants to do. It's his decision. It's his life. If he decides he is not going to play, that he's just going to step away, if you're the Buffalo Bills, you need to take care of this kid. You need to make him a part of your organization somehow whether you put him in community relations, whatever. I mean, this is a kid that uh, uh, look what he was doing for his hometown in, in the Pittsburgh area, in Pennsylvania. You know, the toy drive and, you know, a lot of community outreach and stuff. So, you know, this is a guy that, that wants to help people. And if you're Buffalo, what a great thing that would be to take care of that kid and keep him in the organization, give him, give him a job, and, and uh, let him continue the work that he wants to do uh, to help underprivileged people. That's my opinion. I, I, you know, who knows what will happen. It, it wouldn't shock me if he played again. At the same time, you know, it, it would concern me if he plays again, but that's, you know, that's far down the road right now. You know, and if you're the Bills, you know, the Bills will have something to say about this, by the way. You know, DeMar Hamlin can say he wants to play, but if you're the Bills, do you want to take that risk? You know, I talked about the guy in the NHL playing after a stroke. And, yes, there's there's collisions in the NHL, but the NHL is nowhere near, not even close to as violent as the NFL is. It's not even in the same ballpark. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But I would be surprised well, no, I said I wouldn't be surprised if he plays again. But then again, you know, if you're DeMar Hamlin, I just don't see how you want to take that risk with your life. And if you're the Buffalo Bills, 
how you want to take the risk of putting that kid back out on the field. You know, uh, but the legal liability, I don't know. I don't know if there would be legal liability. I'm not, a, I'm not an attorney, um, uh, nor do I ever want to be one, but, uh, I just hope the kid's okay. You know, the, the, the thing that made it even, uh, I guess more heartbreaking is when you found out what the kid was really like and all the things that he was doing and, and look at, you know, his, or, his, uh, charity that he set up in Pennsylvania, um, over $7 million in donations since he got hurt. I mean, it's stunning the amount of good work that he can do with that. So let the kid give him a job in the organization, let him continue his work and, uh, uh, and take care of him. If you're the Buffalo Bills, to me, that seems like the best possible scenario here. Um, other news in the NFL, Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the Arizona Cardinals was fired yesterday. Absolutely no shock there. Um, general manager, Steve Kime was also let go. Uh, Look, you know, Kingsbury, he's only 43 years old. He was just given a contract extension last year, by the way, as was the general manager. So he's going to get paid for a couple more years so he can just go and take a long vacation. And, you know, he, he there was no animosity. He, you know, it, it seemed like they left on good terms. He kind of knew this was coming. Uh, they were kind of screwed before the season started. You know, when you're, uh, you know, you got a three-time all-pro receiver, DeAndre Hopkins, um, get suspended for the first six games with uh, violating uh, the NFL substance abuse policy, you know, and then you lose your uh, Zach Ertz, you lose your, your starting tight end to a season ending knee injury, four offensive linemen miss significant time. Your quarterback gets hurt. I mean, you know, they were kind of snake bit, but you know, this is just kind of par for the course for this Cardinals team. Uh, look, the Cardinals have not won a championship since 1947, pre-Super Bowl era. 1947. That's 75 years if you do the math. But worse than that, the Cardinals have existed for over a century. Do you know that they have never had a head coach last more than six seasons in 100 years? Think about that. How pathetic is that, that your organization is so bad that you can't even keep a head coach there for more than six years? That tells you how bad that franchise has been. I mean, that is brutal. Brutal. So their their search for a GM and uh, coach will begin, and uh, uh, the owner has said his, his pre- uh, preference would be to hire a GM first and then hire the head coach, but it will be completely it will be completely uh, dependent on what kind of head coaching candidates are out there. And if they start dropping quickly, you know, before they hire a GM, Arizona may have to go out and hire a coach before they lose out on all the uh, the hot prospects. Who are the hot prospects? Well, look, the Broncos. Uh, we know after letting their coach go, uh, they have already requested interviews um, with Dan Quinn who's the Cowboys' defensive coordinator, uh, Raheem Morris, who's the defensive coordinator from the Rams, and uh, Demeco Ryans, who's the defensive coordinator from the 49ers. Um, they, they are also going to interview Jim Harbaugh, the University of Michigan coach. Um, so, And then there has also been rumors that Sean Payton may be interested in coming back and coaching the Broncos. Sean Payton, of course, the former 
New Orleans Saints coach who walked away from his contract. He is still under contract for two years for the Saints. So if he does sign or wants to sign with Denver, Denver would have to compensate the Saints because Sean Payton is under contract. Well, what's that going to look like? The Saints have said they want a first-round pick plus. Denver knows that, and they are still interested in talking to Sean Payton. Um, if you go back to 2002, the last time something like this happened, the Oakland Raiders traded their head coach, John Gruden, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in that deal, Tampa traded two future first and second round picks to the Raiders. It was the number 21 and number 53 overall picks in the 2002 draft. And then in the 2003 draft, it ended up being 32nd overall because John Gruden led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the Super Bowl. Um, so two firsts and two seconds. So that could be the kind of thing that New Orleans would be looking for. And look, New Orleans doesn't have a lot of draft capital right now. They don't have a lot of uh, cap room. So this could be a huge thing for them. So they're probably hoping Sean Payton does sign somewhere so they can get some draft picks out of it. They don't want to completely break that team apart and build from scratch, and they won't have to do that if they can you know, pick up some free picks for a guy who's not coaching for them and they're paying anyway. Uh, and that would also take them off the hook, obviously, financially uh, for the Sean Payton deal. So that's who the Broncos want to talk to. Carolina's talking to Frank Reich, the former coach of the Indianapolis Colts. You know, and, you know, and when you look at the fact that they, you know, they fired Reich, and I didn't agree with it to begin with. I've always kind of, I always thought Frank Reich was a good coach. We can, you know, um, Dan Zampano and I can agree to disagree on that. I always, I always like Frank Reich. Um, but, you know, so he's somebody that Carolina has, uh, has pinpointed. Uh, the Colts are also looking at Raheem Morris from the Rams, but then they've also checked in on Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, the offensive and defensive coordinators, respectively, from the Detroit Lions. And, you know, Jeff Saturday, who was the interim head coach this year, um, said he wants to stay. So uh, you would imagine that he's going to be in the mix, too. I can't believe he's going to be a serious candidate, but we'll see. But... The chess pieces are starting to move around. Lovey Smith, of course, got fired in Houston already. So, you know, who knows? Who knows? One thing we do know, Bill Belichick will be back with the New England Patriots next year. Uh, in his press conference yesterday, he announced that uh, he will stay on uh, for what will be his 24th season in New England. But he did say, he made it very clear, that they're going to look at everything. And that includes what happens with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, who made an absolute mess of the Patriots' offense this year. I mean, historic mess. The Patriots were at the bottom offensively in just about every quarterback, every quarterback, every offensive category in the NFL. 
it's it was brutal. But you put two guys that have no business coaching offense as your offensive guys. What did they expect? I don't know what Bill Belichick was thinking. I really don't. I can't. Uh, you know, I I don't know if Matt Patricia had uh, you know uh, you know compromising pictures of Belichick or what. I I have no clue how he ended up as the offensive coordinator. But one thing we know, it has got to change. It has to. If they are going to have any success next year and have any hope of salvaging Mac Jones as their quarterback, they have got to make a change. Um, as uh, a lot of people have speculated, Bill O'Brien, who's the offensive coordinator at the University of Alabama, former Patriots player, um, uh, they'd love to bring him in, I think. And he and Nick Saban have a great relationship, Belichick and Nick Saban. So uh, there is a possibility that that could happen. And I think that, you know, would be the best thing for the Patriots. They cannot do this again. Because as we always know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing time after time and expecting a different result. And that would be exactly what it would be if you bring back Patricia and Judge to run that Patriots offense this uh, next year. Now, whether they stay with the organization or not, that's not my problem. You know, maybe you move them to the defensive side of the ball, whatever. But get them the hell away from making make play calls. P- please, I'm begging you. Um, another interesting uh, firing wasn't coach, but the Cleveland Browns um, fired Bernie Kosar, their pregame radio broadcast host, um, before the season finale against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Why? We, well, sports betting just became legal in Ohio. So Bernie Kosar made a ceremonial bet of $19,000. He wore 19 in his career in Cleveland. Uh, for the Browns to beat the the Steelers with uh, on a sportsbook uh, app, and the Browns said they had no choice but to fire him. Um, look, because here's the deal: um, making bets is against NFL rules, period. And so he's done. And it was a stupid thing by Bernie Kosar. You know, he's not happy about it. But this is what the this is what happens, folks, when you get into bed with gambling organizations. When you get into bed with sports betting, the same thing in the, in the Major League Baseball. When you do that, you open the door for things like this to happen. You open the door for corruption. You open the door for people breaking league rules when you get into bed with gambling. And no one will ever convince me otherwise. It's unfortunate for Bernie Kosar, who's one of the most beloved ex-Cleveland Browns. Uh, People love him. And now he's out of a job because he made a bet with a, you know, something that was legal in the state of Ohio is still against NFL rules, and now he's out of a job. Not He's not the first. He won't be the last. And it's just it's just sad. 47 minutes past the hour. One more break. We're going to come back. Talk a little baseball. God, I miss baseball. Opening day is uh, about 80 days away. Pitchers and catchers report in just about a month. I can't wait. Back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Here on a 
Tuesday morning and baseball talk. How about this mess with Carlos Correa with the New York Mets and the San Francisco Giants has just been nuts. Um, Correa thought he had a contract with the Giants for 13 years and $350 million. Uh, it fell through when they uh, looked at some uh, medical reports about his surgically repaired right leg and his physical, and the Giants said, yeah, you know what, never mind, and decided to to, uh, to pull the contract. So right after that, the Mets jump in, and they offer him 12 years, $315 million, so a year less and $35 million less. Guess what? That one hasn't been consummated yet either, because as the Mets started looking at all the medical data, they started balking at it. Look, here's the thing. Nobody thinks that Carlos Correa is not healthy enough to play right now. The difficulty is getting uh, having confidence that he will be able to play at a high level five, six, seven eight years from now, let alone the 12 and 13 that are in these two contracts. The issue isn't now. The issue is how that surgically repaired leg will hold up when Carlos Correa gets to be in his mid to late 30s and early 40s, which is what the contract would take him through. How will that hold up? And the team's doctors are saying, we're not so confident that it's going to hold up. So because of that, Carlos Correa may be in a position now where he is going to have to renegotiate this contract with the Mets for fewer years. Maybe it's fewer years, a higher average annual value. Or maybe he'll find another sucker to take him. I still think it'll be for fewer years. But now word has come out that Carlos Correa is talking to the Minnesota Twins again. Now, Correa signed a deal with the Minnesota Twins last year. It was uh, uh, three years, I think, for $105 million, something like that. So it was about $35 million a year. But it had an opt-out clause after the first year, which Correa exercised so that he could become a free agent and get a big payday. The Twins offered him 10 years $285 million to stay. And he said no, and because he had a chance to make more from San Francisco and the Mets. Well, now he's gone back to the Twins and said, hey, how about that 10 years, 285? Would you still give me that? Now, my guess is Minnesota, well, I know Minnesota would love to have him back. Look, they need him. But they're not going to give him 10 years at this point. You know, I don't know what it would look like. But if you've got two teams that have backed off of 12 and 13-year deals, uh, you have to wonder what the Twins would be willing to do. But Carlos Correa is probably in a position now where he's looking at, I'm going to have to take four or five-year contract and revisit it. I, I don't see how it how it works out any other way. Because that leg is not suddenly, you know, going to uh, to show anything different on the medical reports. Now, there's a lot of people hoping maybe the Red Sox will get involved. He's a Steve Boros client. 
So why not? It's possible, right? Um, you know, maybe the Red Sox can jump in and say, hey, we'll give you $40 million a year for two years. You know, and if you're Correa, it could be a show-me contract, and you're making your average annual value suddenly becomes several million dollars more than you would have made on that long-term deal. Maybe it becomes attractive. I don't think the Red Sox will do it. If they did, it could solve a lot of problems. All of a sudden, the Red Sox offseason would look a lot better if they have Carlos Correa at shortstop and they can leave Trevor Story at second, Kike Hernandez in center field. All of a sudden, that lineup looks a hell of a lot better. You're still a little bit concerned about the rotation maybe, but, man, that could solve some problems. I wouldn't count on it, and I have issues with Carlos Correa anyway. I think he's a bit of a putz, but he's a talented putz. (laughs) <laughs> so we'll see. But it seems like the most likely scenario right now, if the Mets can't make this happen, that it will be he'll be heading back to the Minnesota Twins. And look, and even if the Mets don't sign him, it doesn't matter. They've, they've had such an incredible offseason with all the signings that they've made. Carlos Correa was kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. They don't need him to have a successful year. But uh, certainly, uh, they'd like to have him if they could. It's just a matter of whether Correa is willing to take a short-term deal or not. And nobody knows that but him and, and Scott Boros. You know, and, and, and any chance the Red Sox would have of signing him would be also based on whether he's willing to take a short-term deal because they just gave Rafi Devers the biggest contract in, pro, in you know, franchise history they're not going to break that bank or, or break that for Carlos Correa don't see it happening uh Celtics win last night they beat the Bulls 107-99 Celtics led this game by 16 points in the fourth quarter and damn near blew it uh the Bulls got all the way back uh within two but Al Horford put the nail in the coffin he had a three-pointer from the right side corner And uh, with 25 seconds left to put the Celtics up five, and the Celtics end up winning at 107 to 99. But uh, they they damn near pissed this one away. But uh, they stay uh, they stay hot, and they still have the best record in the Eastern Conference, and they still look like they're the team to beat. Their defense still a little bit of a concern, but uh, a good win for them last night, no question about it. Uh, Birthdays today: Donald Fagan of uh, Steely Dan. Yeah, Steely Dan, 75 years old today. Sean Colvin is 67. Pat Benatar, just inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is 70. And Sir Rod Stewart, 78 years old today. And as we leave you this morning, here's a little Rod Stewart and rhythm of my heart. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.